morning, everybody, and welcome to Talking Philly Sports with Matty B. I am your host, Matt Benarchek. It is Monday, October the 12th, 2020. All right. And welcome, welcome to this beautiful Monday morning here in the Delaware Valley as I am here with you in a very unusual time slot. I realize that I don't normally come on at um, this hour of the day or typically this day of the week when it comes to talking Philadelphia Eagles football, but <clears throat> listen, <clears throat> I have to, all right? I have to, I have to, I have to, and I'm going to explain why I have to real quick. As I... Um, process the events that occurred yesterday in Pittsburgh. Of course, to those of you who are not aware of this, the Philadelphia Eagles went down yesterday in a blaze of glory. Um, well, maybe not in a blaze of glory, but they went down yesterday to the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers by a final score of 38-29. Uh, uh, there has been a constant stream of a backlash, a constant backlash and venom being slung and hurled at the Philadelphia Eagle defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz. All right. People are calling for the immediate firing slash resignation slash execution of Jim Schwartz because of the, the ability or the lack of their ability of his defensive scheme and game plan to come up with any kind of um, stop, I guess, when we needed it the most yesterday. But I am here to tell you this. I am here to present this to you. I am here to present a perspective on the other side of this. Is Jim Schwartz responsible for yesterday's loss? I'm going to say he is. But I'm also going to say that he does not hold responsibility solely for the loss yesterday. Absolutely not. I'm here to say that he is part, a part of the issues that plague this football team. And that have plagued this football team since really 2018. And that is simply put, lack of talent and lack of depth. Jim Schwartz had a game plan yesterday that was, I believe, schematically correct. The problem was the players on the field could not execute that game plan. Now, everyone's going to tell me, well, you know, part of the business of being a coach or a coordinator at any level of sports is to be able to adjust, is to be able to uh, overcome the, the deficiencies you have on the field or the deficiencies that you have with your game plan with in-game adjustments. And that is an absolute correct statement. But when you're consistently asking the man to make lemonade out of lemons, and when he goes to the cupboard and finds the lemons, you know what? Maybe they're not quite right. Maybe the lemons that he's choosing right now are down to, like, not ripe lemons or spoiled lemons or the lemons are too small. I can't create enough lemonade from small lemons. Now, I'm not equating the Philadelphia Eagle football team or the defense of this football team to lemons, but I am saying that the man is trying the best of what he has to work with. And yesterday was a prime example of why the Philadelphia Eagle defense is not immune to the problems of rostering that plagued this entire football team. So as I weighed way deep in a um, 
stream of Jim Schwartz Venom this morning on Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, I want to present to you a narrative that leans a different way. That Jim Schwartz is responsible for what happened yesterday, but so is Doug Peterson. So is Howie Roseman. So are all of us who bought into this nonsense back in the, in the spring. Those of us who bought into drafting a quarterback in the second round of the draft. Those of us who have made excuses or have talked ourselves into that being a good pick. We are all responsible. And we hold the same responsibility. And don't get mad. Don't get frustrated when you see a product come on the field like you did yesterday. Because that's what it is. It's what it is. All right, I'm going to give you a throw. I'm going to throw you out a couple stat lines before I get into breaking this thing down. And you know what? It deserves to be broke down. It deserves to be talked about. And it deserves to be debated. But here's a stat line. Ben Roethlisberger threw for 239 yards and three touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of a 125.4. Carson Wentz threw for 258 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. It was sacked five times. Has a quarterback rating of 75.7. Roethlisberger was sacked once. Miles Sanders, 11 rushes for 80 yards and two touchdowns. That that number jumps out at you, right? Ooh, man. 11, wow, he was averaging over seven yards per carry. <laughs> but you take that 74-yard touchdown run out of there, which is what accounts for a large chunk of the man's offense. Now you got 10 rushes for six yards and a touchdown. And that touchdown that he did score was on a goal line play. Beautiful play. Is that Jim Schwartz's fault? Did Jim Schwartz dial up an offensive line scheme that could not create ample push or could not seal the edges enough to allow our running backs to get anything going? Boston Scott, or the other running back who, who actually saw some action yesterday, had one rush for three yards. So the way I look at it, the Eagles attempted 12 rushes with their running backs yesterday. 12. 12. Why aren't we all over Doug Peterson yet again for going away from the run? Kyle Quinn told me yesterday that this is something that we should just accept in Doug Peterson. That this is just something that we should have come to, you know, be okay with after five years. And then actually more than that, because Andy Reid had the same issue when it came to run pass. But I don't accept it. Miles Sanders is a very good running back. Miles Sanders is also a running back that once he's done with his time, his mandatory rookie time with this football team, is going to leave. Because he's not going to want to touch the ball 11 times a game. He's going to want to touch the ball 30 times a game. Now the debate or the argument can be made that, well, the offensive line that, that Miles is running behind is really not that good. I mean, we're, we are playing with four backup players on the starting offensive line. Absolutely correct. Is that Jim Schwartz's fault? No, that's Howie Roseman's fault. That's a rostering problem. That's a missed talent evaluation problem. That is a bad drafting problem. But we're not all ready to run Doug Peterson out of town this morning. Well, not this morning. 
a couple weeks ago we were. You know why? We are a live-by-the-week fan base here in Philadelphia. We know we don't look deep. We say we do. We claim we do. We, we, we don't look deep. We don't look at the big picture. We don't want to accept the big picture reality that this football team lacks talent and lacks depth to compete with the Pittsburgh Steelers of the National Football League. Sure as hell we can compete with the Cincinnati Bengals. We can't beat them, but we can compete against them. We can compete against the Washington football team. We can't beat them, but we can, uh, we can compete against them. We can compete against the defending NFC champions when they're playing with a with a putrid backup quarterback. Who, by the way, yesterday got throttled by Miami. The 49ers did. It's not about competing with the dregs of the NFL, right? It's about winning championships. And I'm so tired of hearing, and I've heard this from multiple, multiple, so-called sports talk experts. And I'm going to target one of them right now. His name is Mr. Ike Reese. He's the uh, other half of the Marks and Reese show on, on 94 WIP on out, of here, out here in Philadelphia. And I once heard Ike say this, and I heard it with my own ears. It, do you really expect to win championships every year? I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do expect them to win championships every year. Every fan should. But we have talked ourselves into this nonsense. We have talked ourselves into the J.J. Ortega white sides, into the um, Jalen Hurts's of the world. And you know what? We seem to get really upset when the chickens seemingly come home to roost. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Amazing. Absolutely 100% amazing that we're going to sit here and we're going to, like, hedge that Jim Schwartz is the reason why this football team stinks. Now, did Jim Schwartz call a great game yesterday? I think parts of it he did. The defense did create a turnover late, a turnover which could have and would have and should have resulted in us taking the lead in that game, which was a miracle in the first place, seeing how just about a quarter before that, we were down 31 to 14 in that game. But we were we, we had put ourselves in a position to take the lead. Now, did the offense have something to do with that? Absolutely. But also the defense has something to do with putting us back in that position. But, yeah, we're going to fire out at a, at a play. At one play, we're going to segregate one play out of, a, out of an afternoon of just bad defensive play. The name Nate Geary is on everybody's lips this morning. Now, Nate Geary is a draft pick, uh, a later round pick a couple years back by Howie Roseman. He is one of our starting linebackers. Nate Geary does not deserve to be on this football team. He doesn't deserve to be any on a football team. He doesn't deserve actually to be, be a starter. But he's out there, and at more times than not, he looks very overmatched because he is. 
And on the play that everybody is segregating as the play that has sealed Jim Schwartz's fate, allegedly, is a slant pattern play late in the game that created the go-ahead touchdown that put the game out of reach for the Eagles. A play that put Nate Geary in one-on-one coverage with Chase Claypool, who yesterday, by the way, Chase Claypool, who is a second-round draft pick of the Steelers in 2020, out of the University of Notre Dame, Chase Claypool has seven receptions for 110 yards and three touchdowns. That was his day, okay? Um, In comparison, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who was our second-round draft pick back in 2019, has has 11 receptions in 22 games and one touchdown. That is his career. Am I looking at this thing through jaded glasses? I don't know. Am I looking at this thing through... Um, am I totally in love with my narrative that this team is just poorly constructed? Am I giving the coaches an opportunity to not be held accountable or responsible? No. But you know what? The coaching on this football team, the in-game coaching, on-the-field coaching of this, of this football team, could be a lot worse. There was a point in the game yesterday about midway through the third quarter that we were down 31 to 14. Carson Wentz had just thrown the first of two interceptions that he would throw on the day. By the way, if you're keeping track at home with two Carson through yesterday, that gives him nine interceptions in 2020 through five games. In comparison, he threw seven interceptions all of 2019 and he threw seven interceptions all through 2018. The man has thrown nine through five games. Is that Jim Schwartz? No. Anyway, Carson Wentz had thrown the first of two interceptions, resulted in a Steeler touchdown. So about midway through the third quarter, the Eagles are looking at a 31-14 deficit. 31-14. In a lot of aspects, in a lot of ways, the team could have folded up camp and said, you know what, we're done. But they didn't. The coaches and the players battled the eagle players are giving every bit of talent that they have through every single game that is on display on the weekly and i am not questioning this team's heart or character one bit i'm also not questioning this team's coaching staff's heart or character down 31 to 14 they could have easily just said you know what it's time to go home but on the hands of a man named travis fulgham remember that name philadelphia The Eagles battled back. They battled back. They got the game down to a 31-29 deficit. Now, Travis Fulgham yesterday, in a second straight impressive game, had 10 receptions for 152 yards and a touchdown. Is he legit? We'll see. Okay? But he's definitely trending in that direction. Next week, the Eagles play the Ravens. If Travis Fulgham can have a... Another sustainable game like he's had these first two, uh, you know, maybe we can start calling him legit. But let's just give him a little bit more time. Let's give defenses a little bit more time to scheme against him. But on the hands of Travis Fulgham, because let's face it, that were the only hands happening on the Eagle wide receiver core. I'm going to run these numbers by you. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, one reception for 37 yards. 
He was targeted once. Greg Ward, four receptions, 26 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, the Greg Ward touchdown was the, um, the the touchdown that brought us into 31-29. Richard Rodgers, our tight end, our backup tight end, or our second tight end, one reception for 18 yards. John, H- John Hightower, two receptions for 18 yards. To include two boneheaded plays that the man made yesterday. There was a play at the end of the first half where Carson Wentz geared back and let one fly. A beautiful ball. about Covered about 45 yards in the air. And John Hightower had a step on his receiver heading into the end zone. The ball literally was dropped over John Hightower's shoulders and was placed in the catching zone right at his chest. But John Hightower's hands were too far apart and the ball literally sailed right through his hands and hit the turf in the end zone, negating a touchdown that I believe, if that play is completed, that touchdown gives us the win. A couple plays later, John Hightower then makes another nice little play about maybe mid-sideline, mid you know, that, that portion of the field, not quite on the sidelines, but not quite on midfield, kind of in that no-man's-land area. Now, with no timeouts remaining for the Eagles in the first half, John Hightower does not instinctively, like every wide receiver should in that situation, make a beeline for the sidelines, get out of bounds. He didn't do that. Cost the team about 25 seconds. 25 seconds the team did not have due to poor clock management in the first half that resulted in us not having any timeouts at that stage of the first half. Is that Jim Schwartz? J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who I really am so tired of saying the man's name. In that one reception for 37 yards, which is a beautiful play, a beautiful catch and a beautiful pass. So J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I believe, just through sheer amazement and shock that he actually made the catch. Again, back end of the first half, no timeouts. We need time. Decides to get up, do a little dance, celebrate, and I think out of shows the ball off to the sideline. Like, look, everybody, I caught it. Then he flips the ball to Jason Kelsey, the center, in an apparent motivating way to get Jason Kelsey back on the line of scrimmage to snap the ball. Well, there's one problem: Jason Kelsey can't do nothing with that football. The ball needed to go to the official that was literally standing right off to the side of JJ Arthago Whiteside, so the official can then spot the ball on the new line of scrimmage, and then we can get the play started. Is that Jim Schwartz? No, it's not. The Eagles were down 31 to 14 by midway through the third quarter, but they battled back to make it a 31 to 29 deficit. And then the defense, a early mid, 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 mid fourth quarter, they create a turnover. That's right, the same defense that really all day long was being torched by Big Ben, being torched by the Steeler offensive game plan. Darius Slay, the, the one and only big-time acquisition we made last offseason, Darius Slay looked <laughs> – 
horrible yesterday. Horrible. Chase Claypool owned Darius Slay yesterday. That's who Darius Slay was covering all day, all game long. But Pittsburgh, to their credit, moved Chase Claypool around the line of scrimmage, attempted to create those mismatches. That's what you do. Darius Slay got beaten like a rented mule yesterday by a second round draft pick from the University from Notre Dame. I always want to call it that, but. But the Eagles found themselves in a position down 31-29 with about seven, seven, eight minutes remaining in the game. The defense creates a turnover right around the 35-yard line of the Steelers. Puts the offense in a very good position to at least drive down the field, attempt a, uh, attempt a field goal that would put them up ahead by one point. So the next drive of the Eagle offense was just as frustrating and mind-numbing as it had been all, all, all season long. They were... Just bad play calls. Pass, 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 pass. Penalty. Pass, 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 penalty. They got the ball down to about the Steeler 40-yard line, and the, and the drive stalled out. They were looking at about a fourth and five. Doug Peterson makes the gut uh, or makes a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do with the, uh, the we're going to take the not the easy way out, but we're going to take the short, we're going to take the easier odds out. We're going to go for that field goal. With anything that Jake Elliott does, now Jake Elliott struggles with those closer field goals or extra points, but Jake Elliott does have a big, 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 big foot. And putting Chase, uh, Jake Elliott anywhere out above that 50-yard range, I am completely comfortable with. So Jake Elliott comes out, attempts the 57-yarder. It has the leg, it has the distance, but it's shanked right. So now the Steelers take over right around midfield on their side of midfield. And they begin the drive that you would that people are pretty much summarizing the Eagle defensive performance of the day on. Now it's a it's a very uh, legit or very fair comparison. Uh, the Eagle offense or defense could not get the Steelers off the field yesterday. The Steelers were consistently uh, converting on third down possessions to the tune that I've never actually even seen before. No. Big Ben in the offense of the Steelers was lethal. Lethal. Lethal on third down conversions yesterday. The Eagle offense defense could not get off the field. And that is definitely something that needs to be addressed. But again, I go back to... I go back to... Rosters. I go back... To the fact that we are just not that good of a football team. Yesterday, the Steelers were 11 for 15 in third down efficiency. That is incredible. That is a defense that could not get off the field. That is an offense that was doing what they had to do, was exploiting the weaknesses where they could exploit them, and take advantage to keep their team on the field. Now, everything boiled down to that mind-numbing third-down efficiency for the Steelers. They began to convert and move, convert and move. Got down to about the Eagle 22-yard line. Eagles held again, you know, pushed the Steelers to a third down and eight. 
and then they ran a play, a slant pattern. So let me set it up before I tell you the play. The Eagle were going with split safeties, all right, or, or safeties deep, or safeties split. The safeties were split on the high side of the field, meaning there was no coverage or no backup coverage behind the DB. So if somebody got behind their defensive back, they were going to walk in for a touchdown. Why would you call such a play at such a juncture of a game? Why would you call such a play when your defense has been kind of slapped around all game? Because it was the slant pattern. It was because of the fact that Jim Schwartz had recognized that the Steelers were beating the Eagles off the line of scrimmage. The down the field stuff was working for the Steelers as well. But in this close proximity of the end zone, the odds that Roethlisberger was going to go up top was pretty, pretty slim. So Jim Schwartz made a calculating move to push everybody up, wide out his safeties, and provide that extra coverage off the line of scrimmage. The only problem was the Steelers, in their innovation, moved Claypool in motion, pushed him off the line of scrimmage, found a one-on-one matchup between Chase Claypool and Nate Geary, which seven times out of the week will go to the advantage of Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool is about four steps behind Nate Geary when he made the reception. And because there was no safety help, Mr. Claypool walked into the end zone, sealing the fate of the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday by a tune-up 38-29. to So, yes, Jim Schwartz does have a hand in what the problems are with this football team, but he does not in any way hold the blame fully. So as we begin to kind of uh, exert our venom at Jim Schwartz, as we begin to exert our frustration at Jim Schwartz, please remember, Jim Schwartz did not necessarily build this roster. Jim Schwartz does not have a hand in creating the offensive football team. Now, Jim Schwartz does have an unknown influence over rostering allegedly on the defensive side. He does have allegiance to certain players, certain players that I don't believe are any good in the role that they they currently serve on this football team. Jalen Mills does not belong on that football field as a, as a starting cornerback. Nate Geary does not belong on that football field as a starting linebacker. But I don't know what else Jim Schwartz can do. Where else is he finding help? There's nobody else in the cupboard. The lemons are gone. He's doing the best he can. This team is just not talented enough. They are 1-3-1, and and they are in second place in the NFC East because they are 1-3-1. and Now, the Dallas Cowboys did defeat the New York Giants yesterday, moving their record to 2-3, and but they did it at a cost. Dak Prescott, in a very gruesome injury, suffered a compound fracture of his ankle. And if you want to go, please, go take a look at that play. If you have a stomach for that type of stuff, it was gruesome. Dak Prescott is lost for the season. So that, again, creates this drama and this crazy NFC least. The Eagles are not out of it at 1-3-1, which is 
more amazing than the fact that this football team is as bad as they are. So to sum up my little rant here this morning, and as I told you, I don't necessarily come on this time of the day or this day of the week because I like to see things kind of, you know, complete complete for the NFL week. Jim Schwartz does deserve some responsibility, but he does not deserve all of it. Look into the game, Philadelphia. Look into the game around the game. Look into what Howie Roseman has done by drafting. Look into the evaluations of these players. Jim Schwartz is responsible, but he's not solely responsible. All right. So that there you have it. There's my breakdown of today of yesterday's game. Another loss. Um, again, I don't know why everybody is so surprised by that. But I will be back later in the week, probably around Wednesday, as I will sit down and I am going to devote an entire pod, maybe a pod plus two, to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, we're going to talk about the season that was. We're going to talk about. Uh, the playoff run. We're going to talk about the draft, and we're going to also talk about NHL free agency as it as it is has begun. So until then, Philadelphia, hang in there, man. It's almost over. Love your team to the end, but accept the reality of what this football team really is. I will see you guys on the other side. Take care. Have a great week. Go Birds. <laughs>